You're listening to the J.C. and Morgan podcast presented by BP Skinner Clothiers. Folks, if you want to make sure that you look your very best, don't settle for the department store down the street where you're getting something off the rack that is lesser quality and you're dealing with salespeople that sometimes, let's face it, can be a little bit pushy. Get a guy whose sole goal is to make sure you look your very best and he goes out of his way to do so. When I say out of his way, I mean he's coming to you no matter where you're listening to us on this podcast. Brent Skinner a BP Skinner Clothiers will come on out. You book an appointment on the website, bpskinnerclothiers.com. He'll have a consultation with you. He'll bring the samples of some of the most luxurious fabrics from the finest mills in Europe for you to look through as they begin to design your custom garment. After that, it's a few weeks and you are done. It's mailed to you at your door, and you're ready to go. You, like me and so many others that Brent has worked with, will notice the difference in how you look and how you feel, and the price is right. Again, go to the website, bpskinnerclothiers.com. Set up an appointment with Brent Skinner. He'll come to you no matter where you are in the country, and you will begin to look your very best. And now for an inside look at college sports with the men in the know, J.C. and Morgan. Here's Mike Morgan and J.C. Sherbert. Good morning, afternoon, evening, whenever you're listening. Welcome. It is another installment of the J.C. and Morgan podcast coming to you live from the mecca of college football, Atlanta, G.A., and parts unknown in the case of J.C. Sherbert. (laughs) The man is ubiquitous. You never know where he might be. He could be in Australia right now on a surfboard with his podcast equipment, Skyping as we speak, as a big wave comes over his head, we just don't know. But I can tell you I'm, uh, I'm in the bunker here in Atlanta, and we are glad to be back with you. JC, there is so many things to talk about. Let me tell, let me tell everybody right off the top what we're not going to do today, okay? Because we have we, – we do this every week and sometimes twice a week. We have plenty of time to go knee-deep into – matchups in tier two and tier three bowl games, the outback and uh, take your pick. You know, we, 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 we can, we can go through all of that some other time. There's just this time of year has now become about two things. Number one, who's in the playoff. Number two, coaching rumors and coaching stories and coaching news. That's what December is nowadays in college football. It, it it circles around those two things, and being well aware of that, that's what we're going to dive into today. So uh, those are the things you can look forward to, and I, I think we've got plenty to discuss on both those matters. So uh, with all that being said, JC, how are you? I'm good. You know, I um, had to avoid a great white shark here <laughs> in the barrier reef while we're doing the podcast, but no, it's... Uh, uh, it's not warm where I'm at right now. I'm in Chicago again, and certainly uh, here in Big Ten country, I understand why they clamor for certain playoff games to be in, in cold weather environments because it does affect, affect your everyday life. Yes. <laughs> um, 12 degrees today. Snow. What? To couple, 12 degrees, snow a couple Ooh. inches, and, um, you know, had to take the dog to the vet for the 7 a.m. drop-off this morning, and so I was up bright and early, and there was snow everywhere, and I'm – I just got a new car, got a truck, and um, it's a big truck. It's a Ford F-150. You and became a truck guy, huh? I got a truck, man. And I Are got, you wearing boots and spurs? Got, What's, what else is going on? I wish, I, I wish I'd have had my boots on this morning, Mike, because I, 
I had just my regular shoes, you know, the, the, the shoes we wear in the South. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> I go to get in the truck, you know, you got to kind of step up on it and to get up in it. And I fell. And, dude, I went down. I went okay. down like, I mean, I, I, there was no brace of the fall. I went down on the concrete. You went down like Spinks against Mike Tyson in the 91st second of the fight. Exactly. I mean, flat <laughs> on my back. I'm lucky. I, I did have enough sense as I was falling. I was like, well, just don't hit your head. And so I, I kind of did a crunch when I was falling and, and didn't hit my head, hit my back. And it actually popped my back pretty good and kind of felt better. So it was almost like a chiropractic <laughs> kind of fall, I guess. Nice. And, uh, but that was embarrassing, um, and that just goes to show you, I have no idea what I'm doing traveling around in cold weather at times. So, um, But, hey, it's, uh, the sun's out now, and it's, it's still 12, and i got to go get, get my little dog here in a little bit. So looking forward to another trip to PetSmart that maybe won't be as embarrassing. A high of 55 in Atlanta today, and people are, are complaining. So uh, I, I don't think you're going to be shedding any tears for them. But this is, this is cold weather for us here. During the day, anyway, in uh, in mid December, uh, so please send your sympathy cards to J.C. Sherbert uh, in in the Windy City. As a matter of fact, uh, I tell you what has heated up, of course, and that is the news and notes of what's going on in college football. Let's let's dive first into the playoff talk. It's only fitting that in a season that you and I have been talking about, where it is so. Uh, I don't want to be too harsh. I don't want to say stale and predictable and homogenized. We've got the same stories that we seem to have every year. The only thing that's fresh, the only thing that's fresh, Alabama for the first time is not in the playoff. So I know a lot of, for a lot of people that makes, that makes you happy. I'm not an Alabama hater, but I certainly would love to see some fresh blood, but we didn't really get fresh blood. We've still got the same teams. We've still got Ohio State out of the Big Ten. We still got Clemson out of the ACC. We still got Oklahoma out of the Big 12. Oh, we mixed it up a little bit. We took LSU, which has been a power not that long ago, uh, and 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 certainly this year has been, uh, for me, top to bottom, and I, and I thought this going in, the best team with the best resume. No knock on Ohio State. I hate the fact that there are some commentators out there that feel the need because they broadcast a lot of games in a particular conference on a particular network, <clears throat> Big Ten, <clears throat> Fox, that you feel like you have to go ahead and take that side. If there's any, if it's a close call, you always just go in that direction. You don't have to. And you certainly don't have to say insanely um, incorrect things like it's clear as day Ohio State is the best team in college football. I wouldn't say it's clear as day LSU is the best team in college football. I think they're both loaded absolutely loaded but i think based on the who lsu beat versus what ohio state beat i don't think they're comparable and i do think lsu deserve the nod they got the nod they're one ohio state's two think about this for those that are still clinging on to well the bcs was better than this a i pray for you and b uh in, in your system that, that you think that that was best Clemson, the defending national champion who's playing as hot as anybody who's undefeated, would be watching the national championship game at home and out of the playoff. That would be the BCS era. Uh, Thankfully, that's not the case. So with four teams, we had all three that uh, clearly are a step above the rest. I have no problem with Oklahoma at number four. Utah made things very easy for the selection committee. 
I mean, th- this was not a something you had to really sweat over. This was the most predictable and one of the most predictable seasons in college football in terms of what four teams to pick. And if you're one of those anti-playoff expansion people, this is the year for you to pound your chest and say, see, I told you, we don't need five through eight. Okay, fine. But there are other years where we could certainly use five through eight. But that's a story for another time. Anyway, your thoughts. Tell me, did I miss something? Am I over? Am I overstating something? Am I understating something? What you think? No, I, I think it comes down to the performances in the championship games. And I, I think when they had Ohio State number one, it, it was that close. I mean, uh, the final week of the regular season, obviously you had Ohio State going on the road and blowing a good Michigan team out. You had LSU at home blowing a good Texas A&M team out. Um, I think at that point, the body of work, you probably could go a little bit with Ohio State uh, simply because, you know, you had Alabama going down as well. Well, then you get to the SEC championship game, Mike, and, you know, that game is in Atlanta, Georgia. (laughs) Um, Say what you want. I know LSU people showed up for it. The Georgia fans pack it in there. Georgia's had, you know, some really good games in that stadium when they played uh, twice against Bama in the last couple of years, uh, once against Auburn to win the SEC. Uh, and LSU absolutely took them to the woodshed. It, it, wasn't, it was a game where you just kind of looked at it and went, eh, LSU's rolling. And then Ohio State, you know, to Wisconsin's credit, Wisconsin had the lead at halftime, and Ohio State had to kind of come back, and, you know, they were kind of – a little off their mark, you know, as much as they have been this year. You know, so I think that's what gave them the edge. I don't think there's any kind of bias or anything like that. Uh, I could have gone either way. Uh, would have loved to have seen LSU-Clemson matching up in, in Atlanta because mm. I think that would have been a heck of a, you know, traditional Southern game. that They've met in a couple of Peach Bowls over the years that have been, you know, absolute classics. I think LSU won one of them 10-7. to Clemson won another one 25-24 during the Taj Boyd era. So that would have been outstanding. And then Ohio State-Oklahoma out in the desert. To me, geographically, that made better sense. But, hey, mix it up a little bit. You do have a rematch. These are rematch games. LSU won a national championship in 2003 by defeating the Sooners uh, down in New Orleans. Nick Saban's national championship team at LSU. And then Ohio State and Clemson have played as recently – uh, I believe it's 2016 when the Tigers thumped Urban. My handed Urban Meyer, I think, is the worst loss of his career, mm-hmm. 31 to nothing out of the Fiesta Bowl. Both Ohio State and Clemson have really brought – Clemson's amazing in this regard. They, they both have brought big crowds to that game uh, when they've played in it. Uh, Clemson in a championship situation, in a semifinal situation, and then Ohio State actually went to the actual Fiesta Bowl, not in the playoff uh, a couple of times, and – you know, they've played out there. So, you know, th- those two programs have a history with that particular destination. So they get to go out to Glendale and do that. So, I, you know, Oklahoma earned their way in. And I, and I want to give a tip of the cap to Baylor. Because, honestly, Mike, those two games against Oklahoma could have gone either way. Mm-hmm. Um, here's a program that was 1-11, what, two years ago? Um, And, you know, they're a blown 21-point lead and an overtime loss away from making the playoff and being undefeated. So, you know, tip of the cap to Matt Rule. Don't know how much longer he'll be there. (laughs) There's talk he may come and and join us in Atlanta uh, at some point. A lot of rumors out there about that. Mm -hmm. So, um, who who knows, you know. But, yeah. I've said all along I don't think Matt Rule – 
uh, is ever going to take a head coaching job in the in the southeast. He's either going to go pro uh, or he's going to go back up to the friendly confines of, of the northeast, which is where he's from. Penn State job would have had his name written all over it, but of course they made sure that they weren't going to lose James Franklin, and thus the the coaching market became very stale. We're going to get to that later on, but I can't help but just say, for those of you that are very unexcited about the non-plus hires that happened in the SEC and even Florida State, Sands Lane Kiffin, who, who I don't know if that's a great hire or not, but it, one thing's for sure, it's definitely not a non-plus hire. Anytime Lane Kiffin's name even comes up, it sparks reactions and emotions and passion and sometimes excitement. But just remember this. You mentioned how bad Baylor was, what a debacle the program was, how it hit rock bottom, the whole scandal involving Art Bryles. I want, I want you to go back and think, who out there, who out there said – Matt Rule is a great hire. What Baylor fan was excited about the hire of Matt Rule? What national writer said, oh, this is a slam dunk? I mean, you and I went over articles years ago and (laughs) couldn't help but laugh when we we were watching people praise the hire of Willie Taggart at Florida State. This was a brilliant hire, and this is clearly the guy that Florida State needed, and the AD really knocked it out of the park on that I didn't see anybody say anything. I didn't. I mean, nobody bashed the hire. I think most people thought, well, it's Baylor, and they're in a, they're in a cloud of controversy, and they should be happy whoever they can get. But I didn't see anybody who was like, oh yeah, Matt Rule, <laughs> dude can flat out coach. Nobody, absolutely nobody. And that's true of a lot of hires. You know, even when Pete Carroll went to Southern Cal, oh, it, was, yeah. it wasn't like Pete Carroll was riding high. His stock wasn't riding high. He became at times he was a laughing stock in the NFL. He did the choke sign, then wound up losing a game. He, there was a lot of things about Pete Carroll that were less than complimentary. And, and you think of some of the successful coaching hires that have been made over the years. And I'll show you a lot of hires that there was no buzz, there was no winning the press conference, there was no oh yeah we got our guy. So. Think about that for the fan bases that are scratching their head right now going, this is the best we could get. It, it wasn't a great coaching market, as we know. Um, and I think that kind of bared itself out. I think, I think the wise move, quite frankly, unless you had to make a move, was like what Southern Cal did, which, is, which was basically punt for another year. But we'll get back to that later. Um, the playoff. I would like to add one thing. Add one thing, please. And we'll talk about this in our next segment. Willie Haggard has been – sorry, Haggard. That's a – Haggard. That, I'm, I'm getting Harry Potter mixed up with uh, the Florida Universal Studios, all that. Um, no, <laughs> Willie Taggart has been hired as the next coach at FAU. I just got that on my phone as well. Yes, yep. who's back? Back again. <laughs> Willie's back. <laughs> oh, man. Well, um <laughs> I don't even know what to say to that. Uh, you well, know. we'll talk about it here in a little yeah, bit. We'll yeah, I just, I just had later. to throw that in there. I'm just sitting there. I'm, I'm looking at it. I gotta... You know what I have to say about that? Willie Taggart's got to have the best agent. Can we find out who Willie's agent is? Is he a Sexton guy? Like, who is his agent? No idea. I mean, he has got one hell of a, a marketing campaign going on for him that he's getting jobs like Oregon and Florida State and even FAU. That's one of the crown jewel jobs of Conference USA, it's a good job to resurrect your career. Just ask Lane Kiffin. Mm-hmm. Uh, you get to live in Boca, you make good money, and the competition level in Conference USA just ain't that good. Who, uh, yeah, could, who would not take that job? Uh, you know, you know. 
it, it's it's perfect for a guy who just just embarrassed himself for two years in one of the best jobs in all of college football. So uh, kudos to his agent more than anything else. I want to I want to talk to that guy. Uh, maybe I'll double the commission. <clears throat> anyway, going back to the play, we will get to plenty of coaching stuff, folks. I promise. One other thing to think of, because everybody is just it's it's like the big three, and oh yeah, oh by the way, Oklahoma's in there because you got to have four. Twice the number four seed has won the national championship. Ohio State with Urban Meyer, and of course at Alabama, the year that the same people I'm talking about, oh Alabama doesn't deserve to go in and get the Big Ten, and Alabama went in as number four and and won the Natty. Um, I don't think anybody feels like this Oklahoma team is equipped to do that, and this is the wrong year to sneak up on the top three because I think the top three you could make an argument this is the best top three we've had not only in the playoff era I think for quite some time I mean when you stack up LSU Ohio State and Clemson and I'm not talking about it because they're all undefeated we've had years where three teams are undefeated before the amount of talent on these three rosters the way they went through the regular season against some good competition. I know Clemson, everybody's you know banging on the schedule, des- deservedly so, but you're not going to sit there and tell me that Clemson's not a great football team. They are a great football team. They got the presum- presumably number one pick in the overall draft next year, Trevor Lawrence. ETN is an NFL guy. Uh, they got the second best wide receiving core behind Alabama, NFL, 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 defense, NFL, 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 the offensive player of the year in the league, the defensive player in the year and a coaching staff that knows a thing or two about how to win these games. So one through three, this might be JC as good as we've seen in our lifetime in terms of three teams, all legitimately good enough to win the national championship. Yeah. I mean, you know, people do rag on Clemson or whatever, and you know, they had the, the, the close escape against North Carolina and look, I don't think any team, you know, teams have those games. I mean, you had Ohio state kind of had it in the big 10 championship game where you kind of, you're playing a team that's good, not great. That plays out of its mind. You don't have your best day. Since that point, Clemson had a bye week the next week. They've beaten Florida State by 31, Louisville by 35, BC by 52, Walford by 45, NC State by 45, Wake by 49, South Carolina by 35, and Virginia by 45 points. Uh, A Virginia team that's going to the Orange Bowl, by the way, um, in the ACC championship game. So, look, just like last year when everybody ragged on Clemson because their schedule was terrible last year as well, um, that's fine. You know, there's a, there's benefits to this, you know, there's benefits to having a situation where you, you know, you're like Florida state and the seven dwarves back in, or the eight dwarves back in uh, the old, the nineties mm-hmm. when they joined the ACC, if we'd had a playoff back then, think about how many times Florida state would have won a national championship. No question. I mean, because the, the problem was with, they would just run straight through the ACC and lose but, to Miami. They lose to Miami, and sometimes Florida would, would trip mm-hmm. them up or something like that. You know, with a one-loss ACC champion Florida State team, you know, they would have they would have probably won a lot more than, than, than what they did. Another thing about this, when you blow everybody out, Mike, you're healthy as a football yeah. team you because you're playing 80, 90 guys a game. You know, you're in a close game. You're playing probably 40, 45, but you're beating somebody by 35 points. You're running your young players out there. You're, you're letting your walk-ons get a chance. Everybody's happy because they're playing and they're winning. And, um, 
your team is is fresh and ready to go, and you can't say that about every team in the country. So it's it's actually, you know, if you talk about situations, you know, Clemson is in the best situation of anybody with their conference being down right now because, you know, they really can just kind of coast, beat people up, play a lot of good, play a lot of good high score, high scoring blowout games, play a lot of people. And then they get to the playoff healthy, and, and then that's when the season kind of starts. So, I, I, you know, knock them all you want. As long as they're blowing people out and winning big like that, I mean, I think that they belong. And, and obviously you can't argue, as you pointed out, that they have some of the best players in the country. What was my line at the beginning of the year? Clemson is Huey Lewis. The rest of the ACC is the news. <laughs> the news, no question. And, and, look, it's true, and I don't mind saying it's true, but it's wrong to interpret that as me implying that Clemson isn't that good. You can play in a lackluster conference and be that good, just as Florida State did for much of their existence in in the early in the '90s and early 2000s when they when they won a couple national championships and almost won a couple of more. So the whole you know, my conference is better than yours. Yeah, you know what? What would you rather have? I mean, this is this is the question that certain teams that have been stuck in the abyss or perpetual mediocrity in the SEC, I wonder sometimes if their fan bases wonder, hmm, you know, what would things be like if we were in the ACC? What would things be like if we were, for that matter, even in the Big 12? Uh, Either way, it's an easier route, and you're going to take less losses. You're probably going to have fewer coaching changes, which means fewer disruptions and things like recruiting. Um I'm the first one to tell you, you know, I, I'm an SEC guy, okay? Have been my whole life, proud to say it, proud to be a part of the broadcast. Uh, but maybe the SEC is not the best thing for everybody. <laughs> you know, when it comes to college football, you you kind of know your place. I mean, we're going to get into the the Ole Miss coaching hire. What was, what was our point last week? I was talking about the fact that if you're coaching in the Western Division and you're not Auburn, Alabama, LSU, Texas A&M, you know every year that you're going to have a talent disadvantage against one through four. And I, and Lane Kiffin's a dynamic recruiter. I honestly don't think he's going to out-recruit Auburn, Alabama, LSU, Texas A&M. And people say, what about Hugh Freeze? We know how that ended. We know, we know why Ole Miss was put on probation. I don't think they want to go back down that road. So, uh, there, there are some situations that are just tailor-made to not be great based on where you are. Um, I don't know where we were going with all that, but I just <laughs> I couldn't help but think about that in reference to a number of, of, of jobs going on out there. I mean, when I watch the coaching situation, you see how I keep gravitating toward that? We got a playoff to talk about. Yeah. I keep... Because the juicier story is still what's going on at Mizzou yeah. and Arkansas <laughs> and, and Florida State with Mike Norville. I can't help it. Uh, okay, what else can we say about the playoff before we get on to the juicy stuff? I'm, okay, I'm, I'm going to quote Spaceballs. Bring it. I'm going to quote Spaceballs. May the Schwartz be with you? No, no. The conference argument is just like when Dark goes and says, I see your Schwartz is bigger than mine. <laughs> That's just, that's what I think about whenever I think about the conference arguing. Oh, yeah. SEC, you know, right. it, it, it's that it's that ludicrous, not ludicrous yeah. speed, but ludicrous, you know, ludicrous speed, ludicrous like speed, it. you know. But I, I just I, that just popped in my head. I see your okay. Schwartz is bigger than mine. You know, mm. I just I just don't. You know, it's just that's hey. silly. 
Um, all right, a couple more things on the on the playoff. Uh, number one, I can't wait for Ohio State Clemson. I think that potentially has a chance to be one of the best games in the playoff era. This is the sixth year, by the way, if you've been scoring at home. Uh, number two, I think just like in college basketball, when you lack the upsets in the early rounds, mm-hmm. it just means the final four is going to be that much better. Well, because the regular season was pretty stale and dull and predictable, as we've been telling you it has been for four months, the payoff to that is we got a chance to have a damn good playoff. I mean, even if Oklahoma just doesn't belong in the same field with LSU, the semi between Clemson and Ohio State and the winner of that taking on LSU, that has a chance to be two of the best games in the playoff era. So that's the payoff. That's the payoff. Feel good about that. You know, I, I had somebody, somebody who's a big fan of this podcast, but he pointed out to me, he said, you know, Mike, enough of the negative stuff about uh, the regular season. We love college football and, and we want to, uh, we, we want to relish. We, we don't want to hear that it's, it's can be stale and predictable. And I understand that maybe I've harped on that too much. I can't help. I can't help, but state that because it is true and it is a concern. I'll tell you something else. It's a concern. I, I was listening to, um, Chowders wasn't on today. You know I'm a big fan of his, but I'm also a fan of Rick Neuheisel. And Rick Neuheisel was on the uh, the show today on SiriusXM, the college football show, um, ten to one. They're, they're unsolicited plug for those guys. And you know Rick Neuheisel makes no apologies about the fact that he's a Pac-12 guy, right? Played at played at UCLA and uh, as 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 coach there, and you know still has a soft spot in his heart. He's kind of a left coast guy, et cetera, et cetera. And this is year number four out of six that the Pac-12 is completely out of the playoff. And quite frankly, if it wasn't for Oklahoma, the Big 12 would be saying the same thing. I mean, the other nine schools have had no representation at all in the playoff. So great for Oklahoma, but it's not like the Big 12 has been really crushing it in the playoff era. But his point was, he said, you know, the Pac-12 is dying right now. Because you take a look at it, not only are they not in, but the team that everybody had hoped that was going to break through, and if they could have beaten Oregon, I'm here to tell you, Utah had a great shot of being in. But you know where they are now, JC? The mighty Utah Utes. You know what bowl game Utah is? They were an eyelash away from the playoff. Where are they now? Yeah, they're not even going to the Holiday Bowl. It's, it's no. something else. It's uh, the Alamo Bowl. Alamo Bowl. Yeah, they go. They get to play Texas, don't they? But uh, I, I, yeah, the the Alamo Bowl. The Alamo how Bowl. Many, <laughs> how many of us care about the Alamo Bowl? In reality, not many. In other words, his point was the Pac-12 team that barely missed it. Like you look at where Penn State's playing in, in their bowl game. You look at where. Um, Georgia's playing. You look at where Florida, the other conferences, the teams that weren't fortunate enough to either win the league or get in the playoff, they're still playing in some pretty major bowl games. The Pac-12 team that everybody was looking at, they they stubbed their toe. They did not play well in that Pac-12 championship game, and they've been relegated to the Alamo Bowl. And his point, and you can appreciate this being the recruiting guru that you are, it's not just the fact that that's a dour way to end the season for Utah and break out the violins. It's also 
recruiting continues to be affected by no inclusion in the playoff, no buzz for that league, no nothing. Now, his ideas are much more radical than mine. He thinks that we should go to a 12-team playoff. Everybody has to have a seat at the table. Pac-12 being involved is good because it makes it more less regional and more national, et cetera, et cetera. I'm not there with Rick on that. But he brings up a good point. The Pac-12 is in a whole lot of hurt. It really is. And when your bell cow program, I mean, Southern Cal is more than just the bell cow program of the Pac-12. It's the bell cow program of that entire region of the country. And when they're down, there's just nothing about Pac-12 or West Coast football that generates a whole lot of talk. And this time of year, they are completely in outer space. So I, I thought that was interesting. I think you could make the same point to a lesser degree about much of the Big 12 not named Oklahoma. Um, we are in a, we are in a time where it's still the same old, same old. If you want to say, well, what about LSU? That's fresh blood. Okay. But LSU, as we know, was always primed to be a power program. Uh, and hopefully for coach O, this is not just lightning in a bottle where you've got a, a, a generational quarterback in Joe Burrow and you're not going to come crashing down next year and lose two, three games. But for the most part, it's it's the same five or six schools and everybody else is just in another dimension. Yeah, and, and look, I, I, here's the thing about the Pac-12. The Pac-12 was probably, the, the outside of the SEC, the most competitive league this year, top to bottom. You know, you had teams knocking off other teams, you know, upsets being pulled. You, you know, you can't tell me that if you lined up the 12 teams in the Pac-12 – or the other 11, let's say the other 11 besides Oregon, who are the champs, and the other 13 in the ACC besides Clemson, Pac-12 schools would have won most of those. Um, they just don't have a dominant team, and, and, and that's, that's a problem. And you're right about Southern Cal. That's a problem. You know, when, when they're not rolling, you don't have that national buzz. And, you know, Utah lost that game last Friday because – a lot of times, Mike, when a program has never been there before, right, and, and Utah's got to play this game against a very good Oregon team that could have been in the playoff themselves had they not stubbed their toe against Arizona State. You know, when a program is right there knocking on the door for the first time, sometimes you, you get distracted. And I guarantee you those Utah kids all week, as good a football as they played, as hardworking as they are, they were just sitting there thinking about, you know, playoff, playoff, playoff. Playoffs? Um, hey, when and we're in, we're going to the playoff. We're going, to, and just forgot about the fact they got to play, had to play a pretty good Oregon team <laughs> on Friday night, or else they weren't going to the playoff. And that happens to programs when they kind of get on the cusp sometimes, when they've never been there before, and they play a program that sort of has been. That, that becomes problematic, and and so I, I share the concerns about the Pac-12 because. And it's and it makes little sense because there's good football out there. Um, the other concern, uh, and this is a big one, let me read you the top recruits for the class of 2020 in the state of California, yeah. largest talent-producing state in the country, and their school of choice. Number one, Justin Flo, linebacker from Upland, California, probably heading to Clemson per the Crystal Ball. Southern Cal has Southern Cal has a chance. Number two, quarterback Bryce Young from Modern Day. Alabama. Number three, quarterback DJ Ugalele from St. John Bosco, Clemson. Number four, <laughs> running back Kendall Milton from Clovis, California, Georgia. 
Uh, number five, cornerback Clark Phillips from La Habra, California, Ohio State. Number six, wide receiver Jermaine Burton from Calabasas, California, LSU. Uh, number seven, Gary Bryant Jr. from Corona Centennial. Now, has undecided, has Southern Cal and o- Oklahoma on his list. Number eight, so, so, so we're now at eight, and there's not a single kid committed to a Pac-12 school, and nobody committed to California school. Number eight, Jalen McMillan, wide receiver from Fresno, Washington. So you do have a kid from Washington. Um, you got Daniel Nagata at number nine, probably Arizona State. C.J. Stroud at number 10, who's a quarterback going to Ohio State. So, Mike, those are the top 10 players in California. There's, what, one committed to a Pac-12 school, and that kid's going to Washington? It's a problem, I, and that's what Rick Neuheisel was talking about. It, it's This is not a problem in a vacuum Mm-mm. for this year. This is a long-term problem, and it's a long-term fix, and it's something if you're Larry Scott of the Pac-12, you better start thinking about what you're going to do about it because I don't know if the Pac-12 has ever been this far behind the rest of the curve with the other power conferences. I don't know if it, I mean even when even when Southern Cal wasn't rolling under Pete Carroll, I don't remember this being that big of a disparity. Like we didn't talk about what did we talk about the Pac-12 back then? Well, a lot of fun, great quarterback play, uh exciting offenses, but the defense is not so good. We used to talk about the Pac-12 like we do the Big 12 now. The defense is not so good. Terrible defense. But a lot of talent in that league, quality teams, quality coaches, NFL quarterbacks. We're not talking about the Pac-12 like that anymore. What we're talking about is that they're way behind the other leagues. So uh, that's a concern. And, and I'm not taking the Big 12 out of the, the danger zone either. Uh, because as I mentioned, it's been Oklahoma and that's it. This was supposed to be the year that Texas is quote-unquote back. They're not. And how about this for a number? I know point spreads are point spreads. But did you know, JC, there are seven Big 12 teams in bowl games? Seven of the ten. All seven are underdogs in their bowl games. Mm. That's very interesting. I'm going to go through them. I've never seen this. It starts with the one team in the playoff, Oklahoma, 13-point dog to LSU. Texas, 7-point dog to Utah, a Utah team that just looked bad against Oregon. Baylor, great story, 7-point dog to Georgia. Oklahoma State, the mullet. Gundy's mullets, 5.5-point dogs to Texas A&M, a 7-5 Texas A&M team. Iowa State, great story under Matt Campbell. 4.5-point underdog to Notre Dame. Kansas State, the one team that beat Oklahoma, one-and-a-half-point underdog to Navy. Seven teams in the Big 12 or in bowl games. All seven are underdogs. That, my friends, is a trend. Now, they might, you know, look, they might pull off a bunch of upsets. Who, who the heck knows? But uh, in the Big 12, for what it's worth, they did go four and three last year in the bowl season. Um, but I, I, I think that conference... You know, they love to boast about what's the big thing the Big 12 always loves to brag about. They We're all- the only conference where everybody plays everybody every year. Okay, great. You mean to tell me you wouldn't have been ben- uh, 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 you wouldn't have benefited from adding two teams, two quality teams? 
You're going to sit there and continue to turn your nose at programs like Houston and Memphis and UCF. Was that going to hurt your, I mean, it, it would ruin the promo that you run, uh, but I don't, I don't know. Anyway, uh, that's that's the Big 12 and Pac-12 report. I wish there was better news uh, than that. Yeah, now I have this about the Pac-12. Here's what the, the shame of it is, Mike, and, and, and why I like the Pac-12. Not, and, and I think – and we can get into this discussion during the offseason because Lord knows what – you know, we, we can either talk about compelling topics and – all that, or we can sit here and uh, regurgitate lists like a lot of folks do, and I don't want to do that. <laughs> um, I think there's a money issue there uh, with facilities and commitment to football, quite frankly. Uh, and you can see that with even things like the UCLA basketball hire, which never made any sense. They, I think they offered John Calipari less than he was making at Kentucky to come live in Los Angeles, and you're like, well, wow, what a great move, you know. Um <laughs> where other schools are pumping in the cash, you know. Um, and the shame of it is every program in the Pac-12 has something to hold on to. They've been good at some point. Colorado won a national championship. Washington State went to Rose Bowls under Mike Price. Drew Bledsoe played there, for God's sake. You know, Oregon has, has had their run. Stanford's been good. Cal's been good. Oregon State, which is probably probably has the least tradition of all those schools, Actually went 11-1 and one and beat Notre Dame by 32 points at a Fiesta Bowl under uh, Dennis Erickson when he was the coach there. UCLA, USC, Arizona State. Arizona's had those great desert swarm teams and won a division under Rich Rod recently. They've all had something good happen to them, you know? Whereas, you know, you, you don't have a Vanderbilt in the Pac-12, you know, that, that, you know, if they get to the Texas Bowl, it's a great year. You know, you, you have schools that have made things happen. And that's sad. As for the Big 12, I'm with you. I think the problem there is, Mike, you have some of the programs that are not part of the the, the hierarchy, the, 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 peck, the pecking order, where you've got really good coaches. You could, so, so in other words, like, you can't count on beating Iowa State, you know, the layup, because Matt Campbell's the coach there, and he's going to outcoach you. You can't count on beating TCU on any given Saturday because Gary Patterson's an institution. You know, Mike Gundy, I didn't even know Mike Gundy's record was this good. Mike Gundy, had, and, and this was a couple of weeks ago, his record was something like 121-59 and 59 at Oklahoma State, where basically when you walk in the door and try to recruit, you're probably fifth or sixth right off the bat on top kids from Texas and Oklahoma. You know, because you got to compete with Oklahoma, you got to compete with Texas, you got to compete with Baylor, TCU, Texas Tech, even Arkansas, schools like that, and the SEC. And what he's done there has been phenomenal. K State, you know, had Bill Snyder, and then they went out and hired this new guy who's really, really good as well. We've talked about Baylor, you know, and so if you're if you're a program like Texas, and you happen to have one of those rosters that may feel a little bit entitled, which. I think entitled in Texas are kind of one of those things that's gone together at times. You're going to go seven and five because the other programs have been established for so long and they're going to beat you. So I actually think that the, the round robin format in the big 12 causes that because to their credit, you do have programs that aren't, you know, that should, that are not set up for success. You can't tell me Kansas State is set up for success, yet they've been successful. Iowa State's not set up for success, yet they have a coach that's successful. Baylor, for God's sake, certainly has never been set up for success. And here, this is the second coach in the past decade that's won big there. And um, 
I think that that's the problem. Now, now is that a positive thing for the conference and complementary of the conference as a, as a whole? Yes, but it doesn't do much in terms of like, you know, your national deal. Uh, and when you look at the league as a whole and you examine it and compare it to other conferences, you're just like, well, there's Oklahoma and then kind of everybody else and just shake them up in a box and, and pull them out. Sort of like the Pac-12, except there's no Oklahoma in the Pac-12. Um, and so I, th- I think adding some schools would not only help the Big 12 in, in terms of uh, how we view them um, and get them off their marketing pitch a little bit, but I also think it would help in terms of getting more teams in the conversation, whether that is a Texas or a TCU uh, when they cycle back up or, a, you know, who, who knows, the, the hat at Kansas. What if he won the Big 12 North or something, you know? I mean, I, I think that would help more of their programs uh, than what they're doing now. It, it is still amazing to me, and I, I still think uh, things won't be completely right in that league until texas is a formidable program again and by now i think most people thought tom herman would have that thing humming but it's not there yet and just like just like southern cal is not there yet in the pac-12 texas is not there yet in the big 12 and those are two programs those conferences desperately need to get right in a hurry all right so we've talked about the playoff uh looking forward to it gonna have to wait a while again december the the 28th with the two semifinal games. Remember, we used to have to wait about 40 to 45 days between teams knowing they're in the BCS championship game and actually playing in said championship game. So whenever someone complains about the current format, I always point out it still leaps and bounds better than the BCS was or the Bowl Alliance or the Bowl Coalition or the mythical national champion that uh, existed for a century. Would I would I mind seeing it expand? No, but it's it's easy to just bang on that idea now because if you were to have one through eight, two two play seven three, you'd have some heavy heavy underdogs in that because there, there's just a line of demarcation between the top three or four teams in college football this year and the rest. So I, I, I'm, I'm going to save that argument for another year. Don't tell me it'll eliminate the importance of the regular season. Uh, don't don't tell me all these other nonsensical, illogical arguments that people have just to make their case. If you want to be a four is all we need guy, that's okay. That's fine. Don't give me BS data to back it up. Just say I think four is the perfect number, and I'll say we respectfully disagree. But I, I think I think I think expansion to six or eight could do actually a lot of good in in most years uh, for sure. Okay, let's get to the coaching stuff. So this is one of those years where you happen to have three vacancies in the Southeastern Conference, and all three you knew were going to have to be creative with their hiring because, A, it's just not a great market. All the talk about Bob Stoops and Mark Stoops and Urban Meyer, none of them took a job. And quite frankly, not surprised. Didn't think any of them were the only one that I thought was a possibility was Mark Stoops. And even there, I've done enough games there and I've seen him there enough and talked to him there enough to know he is very happy there. And Kentucky is very happy to pay him a lot of money. So none of those things happened. So now it's like now is where your ADs really earn their money because you don't get the pick of the litter. You don't get the big buzz name. You don't get the hot name. So what do you do? So in the case of Ole Miss, they went for as much buzz as you can get. 
is as we talked about earlier, Lane Kiffin, what has he done in a lot of ways? Not a whole lot in his, in his previous coaching stints at major universities, but there's no denying he's got valuable experience. There's no denying that he can recruit. There's no design denying that he will bring some excitement to Oxford. Already has already has. I think for that, for that fan base, that has watched uh, a very milk toast type program over the last few years. This was the boost of energy and adrenaline that they'd so desperately wanted. And if it happens to be in a guy that many of those fans probably hated before he became one of their own, well, then so be it. So that went, that was the, the buzz hire. Now you really got to be creative when you're Arkansas and Missouri, because there's nobody out there that's going to either one of those jobs that has buzz, right? So you're Missouri and you go with a coach at, you and I were talking about not that long ago, uh, and Eli Drinkwitz, who clearly has done a good job in a, a short amount of time at the, as the head coach of Appalachian State. Before that, an assistant coach at NC State. Before that, an assistant coach at Boise State. In both cases, uh, did some good things on offense. And then at, at Arkansas, uh, you know, there was talk about Mike Leach, so there was talk about Lane Kiffin. You wind up going with Sam Pittman the Georgia Bulldogs O-line coach. So there you have it. Pittman, Drinkwitz, and Kiffin. And we'll get to Florida State in a moment. But your initial thoughts of those three hires? Well, I I thought if you were Arkansas, Lane Kiffin was a guy you wanted. And and it made sense. You know, Lane Kiffin, his dad was the defensive coordinator at Arkansas under Lou Holtz. Um I thought he was the kind of guy they needed to bring some buzz back to the program, and he was in the mix for the job. There's no question about it. And it probably came down to Ole Miss or Arkansas, and when you think about it, at the end of the day, Ole Miss is a better situation. Now, both of those programs right now, like you've mentioned, are looking up. They're, they're kind of fighting for fifth in the pecking order right now. Um, and, and I think the Ole Miss roster is closer to being competitive and winning. I think that Matt Luke did recruit well. He's got good young players coming in. He's got talent on offense. Um, you know, I, I think Ole Miss is set up for Lane Kevin to get them back to a bowl pretty quickly. Uh, and then he's going to go in there and, and recruit really, really well. And it's, 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 it's not – you know, it's not as difficult to recruit. And it sounds strange to say this because historically Arkansas has had a lot more success than Ole Miss. But um, right now, in today's time, it's a lot easier to recruit to Ole Miss than Arkansas because you have a state in Mississippi that does produce a lot of talent. You have a junior college system in that state you can get guys out of. You have Memphis right there an hour from your campus. Memphis is obviously – a fertile recruiting air territory, even though it's in the state of Tennessee, it, it's closest to Ole Miss. Uh, and, you know, Arkansas is kind of an outpost. You know, they, they're, they've been good when they've gone into Texas. They, they sort of used to be like Oklahoma, Mike, you know, where they'd go across the border into Texas and load up on Texas guys and, you know, roll that way. Of course, they're in the Southwest Conference back then. And, and you know, then – it's been kind of a slow decline because, you know, again, that's a program. Ole Miss has never been to Atlanta to the SEC championship game. Arkansas has been three times. Three times they went. Once under Danny Ford and twice under Houston Nutt. It's a different SEC West now. Much different. But, you know, that, that that's happened as recently as 2006. So, mm-hmm. you know, you're, you're, you're it's kind of weird to say that. But look, at you know, we're in like the – 
almost the post-internet recruiting era where you kind of look at it and, and, and the, the setup has changed. You know, Mississippi, because they got all those recruits under freeze and, you know, because they have, you know, a lot of attention, it, it's a little bit more – Ole Miss is a little bit more of a, a hip school to go to than Arkansas right now, and, and that's fine. So I get why he chose it. It's about winning. Lane Kiffin is 61-34 and 34 as a head football coach. Um, like I said, I, I, I don't know that – is he going to go in there and win the SEC West? I I don't know. You know, I I, I think that yes, the, you do. <laughs> I, I, I think that they're going to have a lot of fun, though. I think it's going to be a lot of fun. And you know, the shame the shame for me is, you know, if you look at the programs, you know, if I were Ole Miss, what I would have been doing was trying to see how could I get a guy that can build on what Matt Luke has done. Matt Luke kept it from sinking low. Um, how can we build on what he's done? We need a ball coach in here to kind of take what he's done in recruiting and, and build on it. I don't know that that person's Lane Kiffin. Um, I think Arkansas needed a Lane Kiffin because they need relevance. So, so that's tough. It, 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 all right, so let's go to Arkansas. I'll say this. Sam Pittman is the best offensive line coach in college football mm-hmm. by a strong margin. You know, Sam Pittman, uh, everything from recruiting to developing – Look at Georgia. You know, we used to never talk about Georgia's offensive line. They were always pretty good, never really great. Sam Pittman gets there, and in two or three years, they're the best in college football. Um, when he was at Arkansas, he signed Frank Ragnall out of Minnesota. He signed a kid from Hawaii. He signed a big-time kid, beat Alabama on a kid from St. Louis, uh, a big-time kid, Denver Kirkland from South Florida. You're talking about him going out of state and recruiting the best of the best offensive linemen and bringing them to Arkansas. He used to coach at North Carolina. North Carolina, okay? And he went out and, and got a five-star offensive tackle that played in the NFL out of Indianapolis. I mean, he, he, he's that type of, like, guy that can go get, go get recruits. And so I think Hunter Juracek, when he got down to it, you realized – uh, and I heard behind the scenes they were they were going to try to go for Mike Gundy and all this stuff. And I was I was just like, man, you know, I just don't uh, not happening. I don't know, you know. And, and, and so if you get past Kiffin and and you couldn't get Leach, um, I you know Eli Drinkwitz would have been someone I would have looked at had I been Arkansas simply because he has ties out there. But um, you know Sam Pittman, if if you're going to play the long game. Uh, here's a guy that's beloved. Former players like him. He definitely can go out and recruit. Um, you know, we'll see what he does on game day when he's the head man. But um, you know, that's kind of who they landed on, and th- that's a very specific Arkansas hire. I don't know that any of the other programs would have taken a flyer on Sam Pittman, but they did, and you know, we'll kind of see what happens. I, I, if you're going to do that, and you're going to have a first-time head coach. Um, you're going to go all in on him. They better not fire him within two years like they did Chad Morris. Yeah. I mean, you, you have to. Well, you do that. You, no one's going to want that job. Yeah, you're going to have to give Sam Pittman four or five years to dig mm-hmm. out of this hole. And, yeah. you know, the guy's got a lot of enthusiasm. And, heck, I'm looking forward to seeing the head coach deal there. Missouri. Yeah, go and we'll get to Missouri. I'll, I'll let you go and then we'll, well get to just, Missouri. I was just going to say two quick things. I, I, I'm not uh, – High on the hire? I'm not critical of the hire. I, I like, m- like many of these hires, we just don't know. Um, I knew that, that these two vacancies in particular were not going to be able to get a lot of the names that were being floated out there. Very often fans, 
get excited because someone connects two dots to that particular school and they figure, yep, that's where we're going to get. The reality is much different. Um, In the case of Pittman, it's very unusual. I mean, you name for me another situation, JC. I'm thinking like Joe Bugle in the NFL now, who's a great offensive line coach for the Redskins, became a head coach with the Cardinals. Uh, but let's take <clears throat> let's take it back to college football. When's the last time a prominent offensive line coach became a head coach and had great success? Just bypassing coordinator, assistant head coach, just just been a line coach, and he goes right into the head coaching job and chair and and just uh, excels right away. Philip Fulmer is the last one I can think of. And there, I'm sure there's more. I mean, you know, Matt Luke was an offensive line coach. But also, I think he had some coordinator experience. He and, he, and he got fired, so you can't really throw him in there. Right. Um, and was Phil – let's see, when Phil got the job from Majors. He was an interim for a little while when Majors was sick in 1992. Correct, correct. And then just – it's kind of amazing how Philip Fulmer all of a sudden gets these jobs, you know. <laughs> yeah, I know. Right? And got, um, so that, that's that's a good example. That's probably the best one we can come up with. I mean, it's just so unusual for a position coach coach to be elevated. Usually, if it's going to be a position coach, it's a quarterback coach. It's a quarterback guru. Because everybody figures, well, if he can do that, then he can run offense. If he can run offense, and he can be a head coach, and and so on and so forth. But it, but it, my point is, it's an out of the box hire, but this is an out of the box opening that Arkansas had. You had uh, two two coaches with two v- drastically different styles, and they both failed. The other thing that I'm hearing from Arkansas fans, some of them is, well, what is the difference between this and Brett Bielema? I mean, Brett Bielema had success as a head coach, but basically, are we getting Brett Bielema 2.0 in the form of a guy with less head coaching experience? These are all legitimate questions. And again, I'm not being critical of the hire. I don't know who I would have gone with. I mean, I don't know who realistically was out there that that you weren't going to make a splash hire if you were Arkansas, is my point. Um, So a lot of people are railing on the hire, including some Arkansas fans. Give it time. Let's see how it goes. It, it It's going to kill them in recruiting. I mean, that, the, the whole landscape of what's happened in Arkansas the last few years, I can't imagine what that recruiting class is going to look like, J.C., in, 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 in the coming months. I mean, what have we got? National Signing Day, not too far off, right? Yeah, you got uh, – that's coming up next week, the early period. So, What kind of class are you expecting out of Arkansas? Um, I, I just I, – it'll be one of those he's going to have to go evaluate players really quickly and – you know, what you want to get is what they call low-hanging fruit. And I'm not comparing recruits to fruit, folks. No, it's just kind of a, an expression that you use. Um, is you want to find guys that, that came on their senior year. There's a bunch of guys like that all across the state of Texas. Um, guys that kind of came on their senior year. Maybe they're at a Sunbelt program, committed. Maybe they're you know still looking for a school. Maybe they qualified late academically. And you have to go and kind of piece it together like that. But – I'm telling you, these days, that first class is tough. I don't care who you are. Lane Kiffin, Sam Pittman, and, and those two are great recruiters. Don't get me wrong. But uh, any of those guys, it's going to be tough sledding uh, that first year. But, you know, what you want to do is, is, is sign the best class you possibly can by being resourceful. And I think that's uh, – if anybody can do it, it's Sam Pittman because he's, he's enthusiastic and ready to roll.
All right. Eli Drinkwitz, Mizzou, your thoughts. Well, the Missouri athletic director sort of got uh, – so he goes, and here's what the story said. That he had three guys, Skip Holtz, Blake Anderson, and Jeff Monken from Army, which, quite frankly, if you're Missouri, I, I probably would have gone with Monken. Uh, I, I, wanted, I, I think they should have hired Willie Fritz from Tulane. I thought that was a mm-hmm. no-brainer. Yeah. Uh, so the board of, of this is one of the times, and, and those of you that want to criticize athletic directors and that won't, you know, quote unquote professional athletic directors and you blame everything on the athletic director, this is a guy that's a quote unquote professional athletic director. Um, and, and you saw kind of how that search almost became a fiasco. <laughs> um, and, and so he goes to them and they're like, no, nah, we want somebody a little bit more dynamic, okay, than those three. And so, okay, so they go and they hire Drinkwitz. I, I think it's a risky hire uh, that'll either pay off really, really well or it'll kind of be a Chad Morris-type situation. Um, Drinkwitz was only at App State for a year. Uh, I know that he's very ambitious, very well thought of as a play caller and offensive coordinator, but Scott Satterfield built that Appalachian State program. You know, Eli Drinkwitz didn't build Appalachian State into what it was to th- this year. Scott Satterfield did. Now, Eli Drinkwitz had a good year, 11-1. and one. They beat North Carolina. They beat South Carolina. You know, they were a good team. But he didn't build that program at App State. Scott Satterfield built that program at App State, and Jerry Moore built it before him. You know, that's, that's a great situation. <laughs> Some of these coaches out here that are lower-level jobs, Appalachian State is a great situation because um, it's built. And, and so you throw him into the SEC, into Missouri. Now, he is a, he's got some ties to Arkansas. Arkansas is right there. You know, um, I do think he's a gifted play caller. He can run offense. He's an enthusiastic guy. Uh, don't know much about his recruiting ability because, again, we hadn't had that much time to see if he can recruit uh, to Arkansas um, or, or to, you know, to Missouri, I mean, or to App State because he wasn't there but for a year. Uh, but he's also a guy that worked at Boise State for a while. He's paid his dues. He's a, from the Gus Malzahn coaching tree. So, I mean, you know, there's some I, – I understand why they did it. But my gut is, as far as winning and losing, you know, if, if you're looking and betting on over-unders for wins and losses in a career, um, and I may be wrong because, like you said, Mike – Nobody had Matt Rule in the pool, okay? Mm-hmm. Right. <laughs> when he went to Baylor, nobody said, this is going to be the guy everybody's talking about. Um, I may be wrong, but my gut is is that, you know, at Missouri, you got to be a little different. If you'd have hired Monken, people would have groaned and complained, but you'd have won more games. And I, I, I think, too, that if you'd hired Skip Holtz, you'd have probably won more games as well because I think uh, Skip Holtz is a heck of a football coach that deserves another shot. So – at the big time. In fact, Skip Holtz has never been at a Power 5 job. So, I, I just um, – at the end of the day, you know, that, that's what their board of regents wanted, and the athletic director did it. And Drinkwitz is heading to uh, Mizzou. So, we'll kind of see – kind of see what happens there. What I was told, and I think I shared this with you and our uh, audience a week or two ago, the AD never even wanted to fire Barry Odom. Yeah. Uh, the board – um. Uh, actually, I, I have that. I have that upside down. The a the board. He had a lot of friends on the board. The AD wanted to make a change, is what I was told. And but then, as you were just talking about, well, once you make that move, now the board very often tells the AD who he should hire. 
I mean, the, the politics of these situations are hilarious. You don't have this, obviously, in the pro game. I mean, in the pro game, the owner is making the call. And he talks to the GM. There's no board of trustees. There's no boosters. Uh, and they sure as hell are not worried about what the message boards are saying. They just do their thing. But it, it's, it's, it's a political hot mess and very often dumpster fire-like situation when these schools make moves. Um, I mean, listen to some of the stuff that came out of Florida State during their whole process. Uh, it, it's it's funny. It really is to, to watch because you got so many cooks in these kitchens, and all it takes. I mean, ask Auburn fans about one particular booster and the influence he's had over many many years. Uh, all it takes is one guy that gives a lot of money to that school. And all of a sudden, you as the AD have to sit there and take it seriously. Whereas in any other walk of life, you'd be like, look, clown, (laughs) I'm making this hire. Shut up and do your thing and stay in your lane. You can't do that. You can't do that if you're an AD. You can't do that if you're an AD. And that someone has a lot of political and financial clout. So all these jobs, they could do a – you know, I always talk about last chance you. If they actually allowed access – into these boardrooms at these particular powerful universities and all the different things that go into these hires, it would be freaking hilarious. It would be <laughs> must-see television, must-see TV, but we're never going to get that kind of access because those people very often don't want to be exposed. Uh, the one hire, of course, that we haven't mentioned and the one that really didn't cause much uh, uh, controversy. I think everybody was in agreement. And I've been t- telling you for years, I thought Mike Norvell, I didn't understand why Mike Norvell was not a higher candidate. I didn't understand why Mike Norvell was not getting more interviews, more offers. I just didn't get it. Uh, your assumption when you, when you see stuff like that from the outside looking in is, well, he's, he's probably not a good interview. He's not a good talker. Um, I've chatted with Mike Norvell on multiple occasions. He's not lacking personality. I don't know. Maybe it's the picture of him when he was a player wearing uh, uh, tacky looking cornrows. I, I don't know what it was, but um, <laughs> but Mike Norvell, if you haven't seen that picture, by the way, Google it. It's worth a good laugh. Mike Norvell is a good guy and a good coach. And all of a sudden in this market, Mike Norvell might as well have been Newt Rockney and Bear Bryant and Nick Saban all rolled up into one because he was this year's version of Tom Herman. He was this year's version of insert hot name and in, in the particular time frame you want to talk about. And so you knew that if Florida State decided we're not going to go outside the box and go with another Willie Taggart and we're going to go with the best man on the board, you knew they were going to get him. Because with all due respect to those other jobs, Florida State, for a multitude of reasons, we don't even have to go over them again, is the best job on the board. And the a job that gives you the best chance to succeed and a job that gives you the path of least resistance, a term that I often like to use when it comes to making a coaching decision. Now, all that being said, is Mike Norvell going to, uh, well, is he going to do better than Willie Taggart? He could probably be half halfway unconscious uh, and, and be hopped up on on Zequil and ibuprofen during the during the day, day game day and throughout the week and still do a better job. The question becomes, is he going to be able to live up to the lofty expectations of that fan base? And by that, I mean, year one, okay, we're going to accept getting to a bowl game, which they will, and 
winning a fair amount of games but not being in the class of Clemson. Year two, going to want to see some marked improvement. Year three, Florida State fans are going to expect to, we're not only going to play with Clemson, we're going to be able to beat Clemson, and we're going to be in the hunt for the playoff. That is the way that Florida State fans think, and that is what you have to know when you take that kind of job. So the question then becomes, can Mike Norvell come through? Well, um, Odell Haggins, their interim head coach, who was retained by Mike Norvell. It's the second time Odell has had the um, interim job. I remember watching Odell Haggins play back in the day, Mike, so I'm getting mm-hmm. old. He's got a gray beard now. <laughs> Jeez. Time flies. Um, so Haggins is going to be the coach officially for Florida State in that game, the head coach, but Norvell's going to be involved. I don't know if he'll call ball plays or what, but that's kind of a different situation. So we'll get, the, we'll get kind of a look at, at least partially, what a Mike Norvell-led FSU will look like against Herm Edwards and Arizona State in the Sun Bowl December 31st. I, I think that this is one of those hires, Mike, as much as you wanted Bob Stoops if you're FSU or, you know, as intriguing as it was to talk about Urban Meyer coming back and leading the Knowles and all that, I think there's something to be said for the, the riser. And what I look for, the American Athletic Conference has a lot of good coaches in it right now. Um, and, and quite frankly, we're starting to get kind of a backlog. I think whereas this year you had a lot of bad jobs open up and people that were hesitant about making moves, I think next year you're going to see a lot of these guys, and Eli Drinkwitz may have jumped too soon, quite frankly. Uh, you're going to see a lot, of, a lot of coaches get bigger jobs. I mean, in the American, you've got uh, Luke Fickle at Cincinnati. Uh, you know, Sonny Dykes will probably make a move back up somewhere sometime because he knows what he's doing at SMU. Um, you know, you've got uh, even a guy like Sean Elliott at Georgia State in the Sun Belt who beat Tennessee this year and, and, and take, took that program to a bowl. Will Healy at Charlotte. I mean, Billy Napier at Louisiana. Yeah, from the American on down, you have a lot of good coaches. So, so what do I look for when I kind of can predict success? And again, it's an inexact science. I think there are a lot of guys that can put up numbers on offense in those leagues because I don't think I think they have a lot of good schemes, not a lot of great defensive talent, et cetera, et cetera. What I look for is how did the defense do? And when Justin Fuente was at Memphis, when they had Barry Odom as their DC for that one season after they turned it around. Really good defensive football team. Then they fell off and they started, you know, 55-52 type of games. Mike Norvell got Memphis's defense right this year. Um, I think that's important because I do think in the Power Five you have to play a little more defense unless you're in the Big 12. Um, and at Florida State you're certainly going to have to play defense because you got to worry about stopping Clemson. Uh, and Florida, they're on your schedule. And my, well, not Miami. They, they can't play offense down there right now. But um, I, I think that's important, uh, along with marrying that to a, a, a exciting offensive scheme. And, and Mike Norvell has been a great play caller for a long, long time, um, since he was at Tulsa with Todd. He went with Todd Graham, Tulsa to Pitt, to Arizona State, kind of the straw that stirred the drink for some of Todd Graham's good teams at Arizona State. When he left, they kind of fell off, even though Napier replaced him. Um, Mike Norvell, he, you know, to me, he checks a lot of boxes, and and, and for that job at Florida State, it, it kind of feels, 
it's it's like an exciting kind of deal. It's kind of like if Chip Kelly had ever gone to LSU. (laughs) I always thought about that. I was like, what could he do with the type of athletes LSU has? Um, and certainly we kind of found that out this year because they, they've revamped their offense and Joe Brady and Joe Burrow are winning the, or may win the national championship because they're running an exciting offense. Well, Florida State needs that as well. And, and I think with Taggart, you thought that's what you were going to get, but you didn't get it. And by the time Kendall Browse came in there and started calling plays, eh, the commitment level of a lot of the players wasn't what we would say good. Notice how FSU started playing a little better once Odell Haggins took over. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> kind of yeah. one of those things. You know, I think Mike Norvell, everybody's going to get behind him. Um, He's going to have a good offense. I think he will smartly build that defense. And I think think he's a guy that can bring Florida State back. There's no guarantees. Remember that Alabama went from Ray Perkins to Bill Curry to to Gene Stallings to Mike DeBose to Mike Price to Mike Shula before they got back to Nick Saban. Stallings was the only one of those guys that had any sort of success, and that was really one year in 1992 by Alabama standards. So sometimes you go through the wilderness when a legend leaves a lot longer than you anticipate, but I like this hire for FSU. I think once it came down to it, it was absolutely the right hire. I like it better in a lot of ways than if they'd have brought Bob Stoops back from the XFL. I I, I think that this one – it's not a huge name, but it's going. I think it's going to be very effective because this guy absolutely knows what he's doing. Totally agree, and it, <clears throat> I, I know for a lot of people, the American is still way off the radar. Um, I, I will tell you this: I've I've done some games in the American, and I've done some games in Conference USA. When Memphis was in Conference USA, they had the likes of guys like Larry Porter. I mean, Larry Porter was in a lot of ways the Willie Taggart of Memphis football. He went three and 21 in two years. You felt like he had no idea what he was doing as a head coach. Memphis was floundering in a bad league. Then Justin Fuente helps dig them out of that hole. And during that time, the American conference is formed and it's clearly the number six conference. I know there's the power five and there's a group five, but really there's the power five, there's the group four. And I think the American quite frankly is is in its own category. You mentioned how the great coaches that are coming out of that league, that league is now serving as the triple a coaching fodder, um, uh, excuse me, a feeding ground for power five schools. You think of all the good coaches that have come in out of there in just the last few years. And the list just keeps on coming and coming and coming. Uh, and, and so when you look at what Mike Norvell has done, you talked about his his job as an assistant coach at multiple spots, feather in the cap. I would also focus on what he has done in the last two years in the American and, and winning that conference. That is no small feat. That is no small feat because there are quality programs and quality coaches in that league. It's not like Memphis has this distinct advantage over those other schools in the way of facilities. They play in an old Liberty Bowl. Um, they, they play in a town that you, there's probably more Ole Miss fans than Memphis fans in their own city. Uh, so they, they, they don't have like this tremendous tradition and history of Memphis football. We know what their basketball is, but not so much in football. He knows how to lead a program. This is why, and, and by the way, look at the salaries of some of these guys who are people are like, who the hell is that? And you're like, wait, he's making $4 million a year? <laughs> that's now the going rate, folks. I mean, that's not just like the cream of the crop making $4 million. Uh, you're, it, it costs a couple million just to, just to get in the ante, you know? So 
if a guy like that who can build something the way he did and accomplish what he did, that to me is what Florida State needed. That to me, that that's not a guy who already came from something good and and just continued winning there. This is a guy that took something at one level uh, and brought it to another. I, I think he has all the intangibles. I think he has the X's and O's go without saying, but but there's so many other things that go into it. My point on the salaries earlier was that there is so much more to being a head coach in college football than there is being an NFL coach. It's not even close. Not even close, whether it's recruiting, whether it's managing, uh, you know, younger kids, whether it's managing things like the board of trustees and the boosters and the speaking engagements, you are truly the CEO of a company. So for those that want to hate on head coaches making so much money in college football, you try it because it's not an easy job and very few people do it well. Uh, I say all that to say Mike Norvell has all the things that you look for in a guy that can lead this big of a program, things that, quite frankly, Willie Taggart was never equipped to do. So this hire makes a hell of a lot more sense. And whether it works or not, again, like ever, like all these hires, time will tell. Uh, but, but this, to me, is as close as you were going to get to a home run hire in this market because, again, you weren't getting the Stoops boys and you weren't getting Urban Meyer. So uh, that is that. Yeah, I, I'm with you. I mean, and, and yeah, you, the American, you just look. I mean, you you have a league where you have Cincinnati, Memphis, Temple, and Houston. Mm-hmm. Um, and, UCF. and UCF. And and you look at it and, you know, you start thinking about, well, UCF had Scott Frost. Josh Heupel will probably get a job at some point. And Tulsa. Tulsa's a school that's, you know, mentioned Todd Graham earlier. They've they've churned out some good coaches in Cinnamon. Temple, Temple is the rule. cradle of coaches. Matt Rule and – Steve Adazio got another job today um, after being fired from Boston College. He's the head, new head coach at Colorado State. I think Urban Meyer had a little something to do with that. Boston um, to Fort Collins. Fort well, Collins. Get, re- get ready for culture shock, my friend. Not as many good Italian restaurants in Fort Collins. <laughs> Navy, uh, the Navy coach will get a job. Kim uh, Numi Talamolo, I think is how you say it. I'm sorry I, I butchered that name. It's close enough. I had to say it 20 times last Saturday when they played Houston. Um, I think he's an outstanding coach. I just don't know because of that offense he's going to get the attention that that he otherwise should and and he's a guy who's not married to that offense but um but that but that is what a lot of after the paul johnson way that thing ended at georgia tech i don't know if a coach that runs a triple option is ever going to get a, a, a major power five job again yeah i mean yeah, by the way i thought jeff collins even though he went three and nine did a good job at georgia tech this year jeff collins came from temple yep. you know i mean so you got houston obviously sent kevin sumlin on tom herman on um, Cincinnati has been a cradle of coaches. I think the the Tommy Tuberville era was the only time where they really didn't have a guy. I mean, Mark D'Antonio coached there. Butch Jones coached there. Brian Kelly coached there. Luke Fickle is going to get a job. It's a bigger job at some point. Um, even USF, the one time that they hadn't had to fire a coach, um, you know, Willie Taggart, of course, deservedly or not, got the Oregon job. Um, and, you know, they hired Jeff Scott. From Clemson, so that there's there's the first coach off Dabo Sweeney's staff right. to go get a get a job somewhere, and I, and I think Jeff Scott's going to be a heck of a head football coach. I, he's got a lot of ties to that area, the West Coast of Florida. Yeah, uh, so good hire there. So yeah, it, the American is is really a league that you know say what you want. A lot of the and a lot of these programs too, Mike have no like. 
who sits there? I mean, I, I've talked to so many coaches that are that have familiarity with Temple, and they're like, "My gosh, the facilities are bad. You're in a basketball town in Philadelphia. You play in front of, you know, five thousand people at where the Eagles Lincoln Financial Field or whatever. You know, how could you end up? You know, how, how do you end up having a string of coaches that move on to bigger and better things like they've done, and they've won? How do you, how does that happen at Temple, you know? And it it's fascinating to kind of dig into this league because it's, you know, a lot of schools in pro markets, a lot of schools that are basketball schools, uh, a lot of schools that are not synonymous with excellence in football that have been really, really good for a while. Uh, no doubt, no doubt. And since we're on that subject, you know, as we were running out of time, we should point out it wasn't just head coaching moves that that made a lot of news uh names like chad morris like matt luke like mike bobo have all landed at sec schools matt luke now on the georgia staff chad morris now the new oc at auburn i guess so much for gus malzahn insisting that he calls plays i i that's how i'm interpreting that right that you don't bring in chad morris as the oc if he's not going to call plays mm-hmm. uh and then mike bobo in a in a job where clearly will muschamp needs help um, he, he went with kind of an out of the box hire and took a chance on a guy that, uh, did not have, he was not well established. It did not work out well. Uh, Mike Bobo has had success during his time as, at Georgia, which, you know, propelled him to the Colorado state job. But, uh, all these names, uh, pretty, pretty solid places to land for, for all of them. And it just continues to show you that, you know, if, if you've had some success in the past, you will get a chance at redemption. Absolutely. I mean, you know, you, you look at it, Matt Luke. I mean, listen. I'm happy for Matt Luke. He if, deserves to be on someone's staff. If you're going to, if Sam Pittman is going to leave, then, 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 and you can hire Matt Luke, you hire Matt Luke. I mean, I talked about Pittman being one of the best offensive line coaches in the country. Um, Matt Luke is a top five offensive line coach in the country, period. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's and the, a good recruiter. And a good recruiter, bottom line. That guy can coach the game. I, I thought it was a little unfortunate what happened at Ole Miss, but he's a guy that uh, you know Kirby Smart. That was a, that was a magnificent move on his part. Um, Chad Morris going to, to Auburn. A little interesting because we've we we've discussed Auburn's play calling situation time and time again. Um, his style's a little different than Gus Malzahn's. He likes to chunk it around a little bit more, but they have a long history. Chad Morris and Gus Malzahn do and. Um, so, and I think the the guy that had the title there went went with uh, was going to go with Norvell uh, to Florida State. So that's going to be interesting to see uh, Chad Morris coach up Bo Nix and uh, you know kind of figure all that out on the planes. And then you know Mike Bobo, and you look at it now, um, and look, I, I'm in wait and see mode now with any offensive coordinator. Will Muschamp hires. Uh, hmm. Brian McClendon, the old offensive coordinator, is still on the staff and probably is going to stay. Um, and then you have Thomas Brown coaching running back. So you basically – you've recreated the the late or early 2010s Georgia coaching staff on hmm. offense. Mm-hmm. Um, I think Mike Bobo is a heck of a person and a good play caller. Uh, I think he's going to do well with Ryan Helensky and, and developing him because I think Helensky is kind of that style of quarterback – Beyond that, I don't know, you know. Um, but certainly, you know, stepping into a situation like that where it's probably do or die next year um, is is helpful, uh, I, I think. And, and I think that if you're Will Muschamp, I, I, 
that's not what I would have done, but I understand exactly why he did it. And, you know, because you can't take any more risk. I mean, you've had eight years of dumpster fire level offensive football at both Florida and South Carolina. Mm. You know, you, you got to just go get a guy you can say, hey, please take this and, and go do it. And uh, a guy you can trust. And certainly they played together at Georgia. They've known each other for years. They're friends. So I, I think that makes a lot of sense. Going to need some playmakers. You can't just out-scheme everybody. Yeah, in terms of right now. Yeah, that, that, that's probably the more important thing at South Carolina is uh, um, getting some more guys that, that are good receivers and, and all that. And they've got some guys coming in at running back that should be good. So we'll see what happens. Uh, before we uh, bid farewell adieu here, do want to remind everybody – one of our proud sponsors, BP Skinner Clothiers, holiday season, great time to, to either treat yourself or treat a loved one, perhaps, to some of the best men's clothing that you can buy, reasonably priced and perfectly custom to your needs, your style, your body type. Believe you me, it makes a difference. I've learned that firsthand. Many people that uh, are in my business or in coaching, former players, business people, anybody who uh, wears nice clothes to work or in general knows the difference when it's custom made and you will feel that difference. And here's the best part, no matter where you're listening to us in the U S of a can't say if he's going to go like overseas. I don't know if he's like going to go to Taiwan to put you in a couple of suits, but Brent Skinner will go anywhere in the, in the U S uh, you just set up an appointment on bpskinnerclothiers.com. Mention that you heard about it on the JC and Morgan podcast. You're going to get a free custom made shirt. That's a couple hundred dollar value right there with the purchase of a suit or a sports coat. And I'm going to go ahead and throw in a tie. I've already got to buy a couple of ties, JC. So this was not. Uh, <laughs> I, 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 I might have. I might have bitten off more than I could chew. But that's okay. That's okay. I want everybody to be happy. I'm feeling generous this time of year as well. Go ahead and check them out. BPSkinnerClothiers.com. Set up your appointment. Brent comes to you. You don't come to him. You pick out what you want, and it's at your door in a reasonable amount of time. That's it. No pushy salesman, no going around chain stores and having to mess with all that. Check out the website again to set it up, bpskinnerclothiers.com. You'll be glad that you did. JC, some closing thoughts before we close shop here today. I'm just uh, looking forward to kind of seeing how this all shakes out, the bowl season, of course, the, the play playoffs. I don't know why I keep saying that. Because Jim Morris haunts you in your head, man. You he can't is. get him out. I still, you know, I am kind of still have mixed feelings about them being the first Saturday after Christmas and – I know people complained about them being on New Year's Eve and New Year's Day. I, I, I just kind of, I don't know. It's just New Year's Day. I don't know. Does that sound weird? I, I, I'd kind of like. It, it sounds. Does it sound weird that I want it to go back to be a New Year's well, Day? Well, I'm no. I'm the wrong guy to ask because this time of year, you know, I'm on the road doing games anyway, so I can't. I can't even tell you what day is what. Yeah. I know. I know this much. I I understood why people did not like it on New Year's Eve. Yeah. Because New Year's Eve, and I'm not a huge New Year's Eve person, if you give me the choice of watching great college football in the man cave in front of a 70-inch TV versus going out with a bunch of drunken idiots that I don't know and spending an exorbitant amount of money to get into a bar I don't care to be in and then spending <laughs> a bunch of money on an Uber I don't care to be in uh, just to say that I lived it up on New Year's Eve, I'll just go ahead and stay at home and watch college football with the one that I, that I love. Uh, that's me. But for a lot of other people, that is a special occasion. They want to go out, and they don't want to have to tell their significant other, no, honey, I, we're not going out to the place that you and your friends are all going because 
Big boy here wants to watch college football <laughs> for the next eight hours. So I, I get it. Um, is three days after Christmas the right time? I, I don't know. I don't know if it's the perfect time, the not perfect time. For me, I just can't wait to get to those matchups. So I actually like the fact that it's sooner rather than later. Uh, as I mentioned before, I can't wait for Ohio State Clemson. I think that's got a chance to be such a good game with so much talent. Real quick, think about this. This graphic came up on a broadcast the other day. So much has been made about Joe Burrow, of course, and he's going to win the Heisman. I, I voted. I can't technically tell you who I voted for. Let me just tell you it was the easiest vote I've had in 13 years. Um, he was at Ohio State. When he was at Ohio State, think of who else Urban Meyer recruited at quarterback that was in that stable. You got one guy in the NFL right now at the Redskins starting games in Haskins. You had uh, Mr. Shotgun himself who helped win the national title for Ohio State, uh, Urban's last uh, national title, Cardell Cord- Jones. Cardell Jones, yeah. You had J.T. Barrett. And am I missing one? That's, that's four right there. Don't forget, probably, it, here's the guy that was the most highly ranked was Tate Martell. Well, it Tate was Martell, yeah. Complete I mean, bust, but yeah, but yeah, yeah. I mean, that, I mean, you know. I mean, just think about. It. I mean, no offense to Ryan Day's. Ryan Day's done a good job of of keeping it going, and maybe he becomes the, a staple in Columbus for the next twenty years. But what Urban Meyer did in recruiting in a short amount of time in Columbus is ridiculous. It's absolutely ridiculous. The talent, the player development, everything that I mean, talk about serving up a job on a silver platter. My goodness. Uh, anyway, that just struck me as I, as I saw that. And I was like, all those guys were on the roster at the same stinking time. And the other thing is, with all the talk about the transfer portal, which is a big story this time of year, you're going to be watching uh, three transfers in this playoff, right? You're going to be watching Jalen Hurts. You're going to be watching uh, uh, Joe Burrow. And um, Justin Fields and Justin Fields. I mean, this is the day and age we live in. And as as long as other kids see that it worked for those guys, why am I going to wait two or three years to get my shot? Heck no. I'm putting my name in the portal and I'm going somewhere else and it's going to work out for them, uh, for me, just like it did for them. That is the reality that we now are in in college football, folks. So you better get used to it. Two of the four quarterbacks in the playoff are from the state of Georgia. Zero playing for the Georgia Bulldogs. How about them apples? And meanwhile, Georgia looked just lifeless on, on offense. I told you, without – there's a lot of teams that could afford to lose their top wide receiver and still be fine. In fact, just about everybody else in the playoff could. Georgia cannot survive without Lawrence Cager in 2019 and still mm. beat a quality team and still have a quality passing game. They looked inept. Uh, receivers struggled to get separation, and when they did, they promptly dropped the ball. That, that's something they better fix real quick because Georgia fans will turn on Kirby in a New York second. I can promise you that. JC, it's been fun. We'll do it again next week. Absolutely. Wear a hat or two. Oh, yeah. I'll have to keep my ears warm. So, yeah, <laughs> we'll talk soon, man, and it's been fun. All right, bud. We'll talk to you soon. That's going to do it for us. For JC, it's Mike. So long.